Good morning, City Church. It's good to be here. It's good to be home with my family. As I was preparing for this sermon, I received an email. And the subject line of that email simply said, How do you view Muslims? How do you view Muslims? And it hit me. I was surprised by my response as I started to spend a little time with the Lord looking at my heart, a time of introspection. How do I view Muslims? I was surprised to find that in my heart, it is often cold and closed and condemning towards Muslims. Rather than it being warm and open and hospitable, my heart is often cold and closed and condemning. So I briefly want to pose to you this morning, how do you view Muslims? When you see a Muslim family at the Arboretum, which we do quite often, or you see them at the mall and the, the wife is wearing a hijab, a, a head covering, or a burqa, a full body covering, what thoughts run through your head? What feelings are in your heart? And for the purpose of this sermon, I want to broaden that out just a little bit to not just how do you view Muslims, but how do you view any unbelieving people group? Muslims from Saudi Arabia or Buddhists from Cambodia or atheists from China or North Korea, uh, unbelieving Jews. How do you view them? Is your heart cold and closed and condemning? Or is it warm, open, and hospitable? Now, I know that when the Lord showed me these feelings in my heart, that I knew I wasn't the only one who feels this way when I see unbelieving people groups. And so this morning, we are going to answer this question. How, or excuse me, what as Christians, what as Christians is our role towards unbelieving people groups? As Christians, what is our role towards unbelieving people groups? And from Psalm 67, which is our text this morning, we are going to see that our role as Christians towards unbelieving people groups is to proclaim Christ so that they might praise the one true God. We are to proclaim Christ so that they might praise the one true God. But this isn't earth-shattering news for anyone in here. We, we know this. But why is it so difficult for us to proclaim Christ to these unbelieving people groups so that they might praise the one true God? I really believe one reason that the Lord has given me is what I'm going to call a form of misplaced patriotism where we view them through only American eyes and where we value our American values and the way we like America to be more than we value their soul and the fact that they are lost. Now, I love the United States. Please don't get me wrong. And I'm not naive. I recognize that many people coming into our country have different values. They have different beliefs, obviously. But as Christians, as Christians, God is calling us to see the value of their soul. 
God is calling us to proclaim Christ so that they might praise the one true God. In today's sermon, we are going to spend some time in Psalm 67 where we will see that our role as Christians is to proclaim Christ so that they might praise the one true God. And then in the second major move of this sermon, we're going to briefly look at the ministry that my family and I will have in Ethiopia, where we will be proclaiming Christ so that unbelieving people groups might praise the one true God. So turn with me into your Bibles to Psalm 67. And in Psalm 67, we're going to look at this in three stages. The first is we're going to look at the salvation of God. And then we're going to look at the reign of God. And then finally, the blessing of God. Salvation, reign, and blessing. Verses 1 and 2 say, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Here in verse 1, we see the psalmist is quoting a portion of the high priestly benediction from number 6. This is a benediction that pastors proclaim around the United States every Sunday. Pastor Keith even does it here as well. Uh, The high priest, once a year, after making the atonement sacrifice in the Holy of Holies for all the nation of Israel, would step out of the tent and he would proclaim peace and grace upon the nation of Israel. And this peace and this grace was obtained through the atonement sacrifice. So this was a guarantee from God. God was speaking through the high priest that God's chosen people, Israel, now had peace and grace upon them. Peace from their enemies and grace from God that their sins had been atoned for. And we see that clearly here in this verse with the word gracious in line one. May God be gracious to us. And then also with this image where it says, make his face shine on us. This here is the, the idea of a parent whose face is beaming with delight and favor for their child. That's how God viewed the nation of Israel when he bestowed upon them this grace and this peace. But to what end did God do this? Why did God make a way for them to be at peace with him and at peace with their neighbors and to have his grace? Was it simply because as a father he loved his children and wanted them to be happy? The reason being is because God had chosen Israel and made a covenant with them, the Mosaic Covenant, that basically said, if you obey me, I will bless you abundantly, not just with grace and peace, but just abundantly, and the nations of the world will come flooding to you. So God's design from the beginning was not to bless them simply to bless them, but to use them as a funnel to gather the unbelieving nations, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Egyptians, those who worshipped idols, did not know the one true God, so that they might come to Israel and be introduced to the one true God. That failed, obviously. They pursued their own ends. They pursued their own self-centered desires. And God's presence eventually left Israel. I ask you today, today, who offers the world the only source of divine grace and peace? It's the church. God has called the church, those who have placed their trust in Christ alone, having forsaken whatever idol it is that they put their trust into to make them right before God, 
and trusting in Christ alone, God has given them, us, his grace in the forgiveness of sins that we have in the new covenant, which we celebrate with communion, as well as we are at peace with him. We are at peace with God. We have received this gift. And like Israel, we have received this gift in order to give it freely towards others, towards those who do not know the one true God, who have never heard the gospel. I remind you that the church is the only, only group, is the only family, is the only religion, if I could use that word. Christianity is the only religion that has been guaranteed by God divine grace and peace. No other religion offers that. Every other religion is striving with their own good deeds to make it up to the righteous level that only God can obtain. And we have been given Christ's righteousness, so we are there. And we have this. It's in the message of the gospel, and we are called to share it. We have a, a one, almost one-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Faith, and we love her terribly. She's precious. Um, she's just full of personality. And uh, my wife, Nancy, and I get the biggest kick out of when she plays with her toys because they are for her to enjoy, but they're also for her to share. The enjoyment part, she's got down great. She can play all on her own. And sometimes she takes her toy and she walks away from us and turns her back to us and plays with her toy. Totally content. The sharing part is very difficult for her. See, as her parents, we gave her this good gift to enjoy, but to share. Israel enjoyed the gift of grace and peace God gave them, but they did not share. And oftentimes, we, me included as the church, we do not share God's grace and God's peace with those we deem outsiders. And it's true, they are outside the family of God, but God loves them. We look at them as outsiders and we have fear in our heart or we condemn them in our heart and we hoard God's grace and God's peace for ourselves. So God's desire is for his salvation to extend to all nations. And we see that in verse 2, simply where it says, So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. This is God's plan. This is what God has intended from the beginning. So this is the first portion of Psalm 67, the salvation of God. We as the church have his grace, his peace. We are called to share it through evangelism, through proclaiming the gospel so that outsiders that we are cold and closed off and condemning in our hearts might become brothers and sisters. So next, the reign of God, verses 3 through 5. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. I want you to notice right off the bat that verse 3 and verse 5 are identical. They are the exact same words. And the reason for that is the author is, is demonstrating his pure heart towards the nations of the world. It, it is an emphasis upon his pure desire for unbelieving nations to praise 
the one true God. Do we share with this psalmist our pure heart's desire that the nations might know Christ and worship the one true God? Can we declare with the psalmist, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Can we do that? Do we do that? When we read the news about North Korea's new ICBM missiles that can now possibly reach Alaska, do we declare, God, may your mercy and grace shower upon them so that they might be our brother and sister, so that they might turn from that? Or do we say, Lord, may you condemn them. May your justice come upon them. May you protect us from their wickedness and their evil. This is an age of grace. Justice will come. It will come. Our Lord is King and He will judge. But every single one of us in here at one time was at war with God. And we might not have had ICBMs and we might not have been hostile towards the United States government, but we were hostile towards God. And in His grace, He reached out and claimed us as His own. And this psalmist demonstrates the type of heart, the attitude that we are to have towards these unbelieving people groups, these unbelieving nations. Also framed here in verse 4, so framed between verse 3 and verse 5, we see a key reason in verse 4 why the psalmist is praising God, why he's, he's basically petitioning the nations to worship God. In verse 4, right in the center, it says, For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations with the earth. What the psalmist is saying here is that God, whether he's acknowledged or not by the other nations, is king of those nations. An element of this is sure he will judge one day. But another element that we see here is that he is a good God. He cares for them. He cares for them. And we see that in very tangible ways in the sense that he causes it to rain upon them, whether it's Hindus in India or Muslims in Saudi Arabia, it rains. He causes the sun to shine as well. This is his common grace, the common love he has for all people because all people are made in his image. True, only those who trust in Christ are children of God. But all people have worth and dignity because they're made in the image of God. And his love for them is demonstrated through his care for all peoples, all nations. And the psalmist is declaring that in the psalm as a key reason why they are to worship him. It's, it's similar to being a parent of a child again. Another illustration of being a dad. And now that you're a parent, everything revolves around being a dad or, or in Nancy's case, a mom. I, I imagine it'd be similar to me caring for my child and he or she just rebelling against me. Even though I, I work and I provide food for them, I provide shelter for them, I provide safety for them, I provide transportation for them, but they go their own way, they rebel, they disobey, uh, they don't even acknowledge my presence. That doesn't change the fact that I care for them and I love them and I'm there for them and I'm providing for them. That's very similar to how God reigns over the nations, how he cares for the nations. They might not acknowledge him, but he rules over them. And he cares for them and he provides for them. So this is the reign of God. 
And the psalmist, understanding God's reign, that he's a good king, wants the nations to acknowledge him. Turn to the God who cares for you. Turn to the God who loves you. Turn to the God who's made a way for you to be in his family for all eternity through his son Christ. Turn to him. And the question is, do we share in that same pure heartfelt attitude that the psalmist does? So that's the reign of God. We're going to look now at the blessing of God in verses 6 through 7, which read, The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Here the psalmist is petitioning God for blessing. God has blessed Israel with crops, which was a part of the Mosaic Covenant. And he's saying, bless us more, Lord. This again was a part of the Mosaic Covenant where they obeyed and God would give them rain. He would give them crops. He would give them protection. But if they disobeyed, the ground, the ground would turn to, uh, to bronze and the sky to iron in the sense that it would dry up and the rains would cease. But here we see a picture of a psalmist who embodies the attitude that the Lord hoped Israel would have. Of, Lord, you've blessed us. Thank you. Bless us still. And what, to what end is he asking this blessing? It's very similar to verses 1 and 2. It's so that all the ends of the earth will fear him, we see in verse 7. So that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And again, this is God's plan from the beginning. He wanted all the ends of the earth to fear him. So the blessing would flow to them. The nations would flow into Israel. That was his intention. We see that clearly in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you and in you all the nations will be blessed. And we also see this in Revelation when Christ will be reigning in his glory on his throne and People from every tribe, nation, and tongue, every, every nation in the world, every tribe in the world, every tongue in the world will come and they will praise him. So this is God's intention from the very, very beginning. Uh, in this particular verse, to fear God is the author's intention, that the nations of the earth might fear God. And we see that there in verse 7 at the very end, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. To fear God is this idea of wholehearted devotion it's supreme love for god it's a supreme value for him above all other things that's the idea of fear it's relational and yes you you do have to add the element of his holiness in there he does require and does ask of us to live a certain kind of walk a walk that demonstrates his son's character So that's the idea to fear him. But I want to get back to this idea of the psalmist praying, Lord, bless us more. And his attitude in blessing us more is so that more people would see his goodness and they would come to him. And I ask us this morning, when we pray for God's blessing in our families, for health or for wealth or for safety, do we pray with the attitude of, Bless me, Lord, so that I might bless others. The picture here is that of a river where we pray for the Lord to bless us, that his blessing would flow through us so that it might flow towards those outsiders, those outside God's family, those who do not know him. God still uses his blessing in the lives of Christians today that we might bless 
others. I think far too often, though, we are less like a river and more like a pond. Where we do ask for the Lord to bless us, but then out of anxiety or fear or some reason deep within, we just put the dam right there. And his blessing flows in and we come more like a stagnant pond and less like a life-giving river. And if anxiety is one reason where you do not want to share the wealth God's given you with the mission that God's on, God is on a mission to advance his gospel, that his son might be glorified, that his family might grow. And he uses us in doing that. And so from Philippians 4.19, we have assurances from the Apostle Paul that when you give to God's mission, when you financially partner with the Lord in what he's already doing, he will provide for your needs. In Philippians 4.19, Paul is saying, My God will provide all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is not speaking that into thin air. He's speaking that directly to the Philippian church that had financially partnered with him in advancing the gospel. And he's alleviating any fear. Don't worry. You've partnered with God. He's going to provide for your needs because he wants you to financially give. He wants you to be that river of life. The Lord himself also said in Matthew 6, to not be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you need. Instead, seek first God and his righteousness, and he will provide all of your needs. So we have those assurances, those promises that should alleviate some anxiety of, I don't have enough to give, I want to give, but I can't. No, God wants you to be a river. He will continue to provide at the source because he's the source, and that source will never dry up. So this is the idea that I want to take from this final section of Psalm 67, the blessing of God, that it has a purpose, not just to make us happy, but to be a river of life to others who are outside God's family. So at this point, we're going to transition to how my family, in partnership with City Church International, plan to proclaim Christ in Ethiopia, so that the surrounding unbelieving nations might praise the one true God. In September, we planned it apart. My wife, Nancy, our one-year-old daughter, Faith, to move to Ethiopia. We're going to be with SIM, which is an interdenominational ministry, uh, evangelical. And we plan to live in Ethiopia full-time. And we're on the theological education team. That means that we're taking training that we've received, and we want to bless other pastors Just real briefly about Ethiopia, it's in far east Africa, and it's a mountainous country. About 70% of all the mountains in Africa are there. Uh, It is a large country, both in terms of population and area. 100 million people live in Ethiopia. 100 million people. Second most populous in the the, the continent of Africa. And area, it's one and a half times the size of the state of Texas. So it's, excuse me, it's very, very large. Uh, It's also ancient. We just celebrated our Independence Day, 1776. Uh, They're on record at 980 B.C. That's old. (laughs) Those are interesting reasons, but I want to share with you some key reasons why we feel the Lord is leading us to Ethiopia. One, Ethiopia is a majority Christian nation surrounded by majority Muslim nations. And Ethiopia is a financially poor nation. So you see Ethiopia up here. It's right here. 
It's surrounded by six nations, and four of those are majority Muslim or close to it. Eritrea, just to the north, is 50-50. Somalia, to the east, or excuse me, the yes, the east is 99.9% Muslim. And this is where modern-day pirates come from. The, the, the Captain movie, I can't remember what Tom Hanks, that was, those were Somalians. Djibouti here, it's about 94% Muslim. And Sudan is 97% Muslim. South Sudan here and Kenya here are majority Christian, but South Sudan is coming out of a, a war. They're, they're very just war-torn, and Kenya is doing wonderful things for the, with the gospel as well. So here you have this majority Christian nation surrounded by majority Muslim nations. They have the heart that we've described in Psalm 67. Ethiopia is not just receiving missionaries like Nancy and me. They're sending them out because they share with our psalmist this morning. May Sudan praise you, Lord. May Somalia praise you, Lord. May Eritrea and Djibouti praise you, Lord. They have the passion. They have the pure heart to reach their neighbors who do not have the gospel. The obstacle or the problem, if you will, is that they are very financially poor. They do not have access to training like we do. In fact, I've been told that many pastors simply listen to the radio before they preach to a sermon and they regurgitate it to their congregation, not knowing if it's a good, truthful, doctrine-based sermon in the Word where he's, he or she's feeding their flock, or if it's a prosperity gospel, or it's filled with false theology. So that's the problem. They've got the heart. They've got the opportunity. Nancy and I have been led by the Lord to meet that need to a degree. We're going to partner with the evangelical church over there in training and equipping their pastors to know the Word, to preach the Word, Training and equipping evangelists to share the gospel. Training and equipping missionaries to go, not only to the Muslims within Ethiopia, but those that surround Ethiopia, to go as torchbearers with the gospel. And training church leaders who simply want to serve, but don't know what that looks like. And you have partnered with us in that. City Church is our sending church. You have financially partnered with us, and for that I give you great thanks. We are grateful. So that's, that's our passion, and that's how the Lord is going to use us. And we do plan to serve there long term. We'll be there for two years, come home for three months, see everyone, go for two more. We don't know how long we'll do it all in total, but somewhere in ten years or, or not. It's up to the Lord. I hope you're encouraged that the Lord has called you to partner with us in proclaiming Christ so that surrounding nations might praise the one true God. But I also want to challenge you to pray to the Lord. I know you've called me through City Church to partner with the Bradleys, but I also know that you have given me as an individual a certain sphere of influence. There are people you work with, people you go to school with, people you rub shoulders with, your neighbors in this community that are from these unbelieving nations that did not have the same opportunity you had growing up, that have not heard the gospel. And I know Pastor Keith leads an evangelism team every Saturday at 11. This should be the heartbeat of the church, 
sharing the gospel. And this community right here has many of those unbelieving people groups right here at our doorstep. I also know that Dallas is one of the largest refugee communities in the nation. Texas has a big heart for refugees, and for that I give tremendous thanks to the Lord because that's His grace. There are many ministries that Pastor Keith can help you plug into if you do have a desire to simply love them because they are in a vulnerable place. Many of them are away from their family structures at home, and they are here in a strange land, don't know the language, don't have basic skills on computer or to simply use the public transportation. Meet them with the grace and the peace that God has given you. Meet them with this understanding that God reigns over all nations and He's good and He cares for you. Meet them with this attitude that I have been blessed and I want to bless you. So I challenge you to pray, to take the attitude of the psalmist and to hold it up and ask the Lord to give you insight and deep wisdom. Where do I fall short? In what areas is my heart cold and closed and condemning? Because I want it to be warm and open and hospitable to these that you love, to these that don't know your son. Pray for opportunity. Pray for boldness. Pray for wisdom. Reach out to Pastor Keith. We are a blessed people. We know the one true God. And for that, we give thanks every Sunday for the resurrection that we celebrate. So this morning, we have looked at Psalm 67 to see that our role as Christians towards these unbelieving people that are pouring into our country, our role as Christians is to proclaim Christ to them so that they might praise the one true God. We've also talked a little bit about the obstacles in our way. We each have our own lenses that we put on that sees them in a certain light. And I get it. I'm not naive. They do come from different parts of the world. They bring different values, different beliefs. But let's introduce them to the one true God so that they might become brothers and sisters. So that in their way, they might make this country better in whatever sense that looks like. I don't know. All I know is that more Christians in this country, that's got to be a better thing. So we've seen the psalmist's attitude. I've shared with you briefly about how you've partnered with us, and for that I give you tremendous thanks. But again, pray to God. Open your hearts up to Him. Ask Him to use you in proclaiming Christ so that these unbelieving people groups might praise the one true God. So let's pray. Father, we do come before you only through your Son. It is only by his sacrificial death that we can call you Father. Thank you that you have enabled us to believe that you've led us to have an encounter with Christ. I pray that you would use each one of us to lead those who do not know you to have the same encounter. Use us to reach our neighbors, the refugees in this community, those from these unbelieving nations that you love, but we have a hard time loving. Use us that we might proclaim Christ to them so that they might praise you, the one true God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.